Let us pray. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. I had a friend when I lived in New York City a few years back. Um, He's actually still a friend, but he's lived in Los Angeles now for a few years, and we keep up primarily through Instagram and texting. I'm sure you all have friends like that. He is a great guy. He's funny. He's smart. He's loyal. He's talented. Uh, When we knew each other in New York, he was also single, and he really didn't want to be. He was uh, looking for love. And I remember him saying to me at that time that when he saw couples walking down the street holding hands, it was almost like witnessing an alternate state of being, an alternate reality to his own. It was as though they were living on a different planet than he was, and he had no idea how to get from his planet, planet single, to their planet, planet couple. I'll never forget him saying that, the the strangeness, how do I get from where I am to where they are, where I want to be? I think the reason that stuck with me is because it highlighted what a miracle love is, what a miracle it is to fall in love, how we can't make it happen, despite what eHarmony and Match.com might tell us. How love is always a gift. It's always unexpected. It's always uncontrollable. And in fact, I think often, you know, efforts we may make to try to control it, to try to make it happen, may only hinder it. I used to be in youth ministry, so I worked a lot with high schoolers and college students and young adults. And if you don't remember what it was like to be that age, um, they were somewhat obsessed with falling in love, with finding the right person. And actually, perhaps that never changes, right? We're always a little bit obsessed with that. A lot of young people, they, they form lists in their minds of the kind of attributes they want in a spouse. They get a vision for the person they think they want. They want someone of a certain height or with a certain hair color, certain interests and maybe qualities and personality. And we see a little bit of this phenomenon in today's Old Testament reading, right? Samuel goes to see Jesse because one of Jesse's sons is going to be king. And Samuel immediately is like, oh, it's the oldest. And God is like, no, it isn't. You don't, you don't know what I have for you. You don't know what I have for Israel. Anyway, I used to tell these young people If you have a list in your mind of the attributes you want in somebody, tear it up. If you have an image in your mind of the perfect spouse for you, forget it. Blow it up. Because chances are the person you will fall in love with is the exact opposite of what you think you want. Has anyone ever experienced that to be true? You think you know what you want but then you fall in love with the exact opposite. Now, I know this to be true from my own experience because I have to say that when my wife, Jamie, and I met, she was infinitely cooler than I was. I know that's hard to believe, but I'll just, I'm gonna just trust me on that. Uh, she used to hang out with punk rockers in California. Anyone heard of Green Day? You've heard of Green Day, right? My wife taught Billy Joe, the lead singer of Green Day, to play the trombone. 
believe it or not. She had backstage passes to Nirvana in the mid-90s. I mean, she was seriously cool. And I remember when we were dating, at one point she came to visit uh, me and my family in Connecticut. And one day she picked me up after I'd been playing basketball with some friends. And I was wearing these really terrible white Reebok high tops and khaki shorts and a gray sweatshirt. And she took one look at me and said, RJ, at this moment, you are the exact opposite of anyone I ever thought I'd be with. Thanks, honey. Love is a miracle. It's unexpected. We don't really know how it happens. We certainly can't make it happen. And we can't control it. We can't will it into being. Let me give you another example of this general principle. Before seminary, um, as I said, in New York, I worked for a youth ministry. It was called Focus, and it did pretty well. When I started as the director, there were about 20 kids from about four different schools involved. But just a few years later, by the grace of God, and I do mean by the grace of God, there were hundreds of kids from dozens of different schools. And a few times, people back then asked me, RJ, how did you make this happen? And I used to say, I didn't. I have no idea how this happened. It's been all God, 100% God, because that was the truth. I mean, to be sure, I, I worked pretty hard and I showed up. What did Woody Allen say? 90% of life is just showing up. But I could have never made that ministry grow the way it did. Kids just came and they brought more kids with them. A friend of mine who's a priest in Louisville likes to say that all ministry is waxing the surfboard and waiting for God to send waves. Which is to say, you know, we can make things as shiny and smooth and efficient as we like, but unless God does something, unless God shows up, not much is going to happen. Now, when I used to tell people that I had no idea how my ministry had grown, that it wasn't me, that it was all God, to be honest, that, that drove my wife a little bit crazy. It annoyed her a little bit because she'd say, RJ, you've got to take a little bit more credit. I mean, you work hard. You, you deserve it, which was nice of her. She was trying to be a good wife. She was trying to be encouraging. But I resisted because I knew that it wasn't true. I knew that it wasn't me who'd made this thing grow. A few years later, uh, my wife started a business, which did, you know, pretty well. And now she told me she knows what I mean. Because again, she worked hard, she showed up, but she also now knows what it's like to experience growth beyond anything that she could reasonably take credit for. Have you experienced that? Maybe with work you've done, maybe with children you've raised, you look at them and you say, I can't take credit for that. God, God has been good. By the grace of God, I've, I've been able to raise this child. Growth, when it happens, and it doesn't always happen, right? But when it does, it's very often unexpected, unexplainable, and uncontrollable. Well, in today's gospel reading, Jesus talks about this truth, about the unexplainability, the unthwartability, really, of of growth. But he's not talking about love or about business or even really about ministry. He's talking about God's kingdom. Here's what he says. 
The kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. He does not know how. The earth produces of itself, first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. Jesus goes on to say, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable will we use for it? It is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. What Jesus says is that God's kingdom is something which starts small and grows big and we have no idea how. And I have to say that this parable is empirically, verifiably true. Christianity started 2,000 years ago with one murdered Jew. And today there are almost two and a half billion people who worship that murdered Jew. That's quite a rate of return. And that growth has happened in spite of persecution, martyrdom, heresy, secularism, not to mention the sin and dysfunction of the church itself, of Christians themselves. It's grown through war, through inquisition, through crusade, through racism. The kingdom of God marches on. It has grown and grown and shows no sign of stopping, which I have to say is a source of great hope to me personally, because it means that the kingdom of God is not up to me. It's not up to us. We may have a part to play. We may need to show up, but however we may play that part, and even if we don't show up, whatever success or failure we may experience, God's saving, loving purposes in Jesus Christ will not be stopped. The kingdom of God is like that, that seed growing in the world. But not just that, I think the kingdom of God is also something which is growing in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. Has anyone seen uh, that 2010 film Inception? Remember that Inception with Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hardy and Michael Caine? If you haven't seen it, or if you have, it's a, to remind you, it's about a team of thieves, thieves who are trying to break into a man's mind and plant an idea in it. They want to plant the idea that his dead father loved him. And they, they're doing that in the hope that it will change the man's life that this little idea that his father loved him will change how he sees the world, change how he sees himself, change the decisions that he makes. And I think what Jesus says in today's gospel is that the kingdom of God is very much like inception. It's an idea that Jesus plants inside of us. And it's a, a little idea. It starts small, but little by little, it begins to take over our hearts and our minds and our lives. 
It's a small seed that grows day and night into a, a large tree, though we don't know how. Or to use another image that Jesus does in the Gospels, it's like a pinch of yeast which works its way through the whole dough. And so what is this idea? What is this seed, this yeast, which grows in our hearts, which has come to take over the world in the last two millennia? Well, there's lots of ways to answer that question, but let me offer just a little piece of today's passage from Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth. Here's what Paul writes to those Christians so long ago. The love of Christ urges us on. Other translations say the love of Christ controls us. It compels us. Because, he says, we are convinced that one has died for all. If anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. So Paul says three things in this short passage. The first thing he says is that Jesus loves us, loves you, loves me. The second thing is that he loves us so much that he died for us, died on the cross. He took the punishment and the wrath that we deserve. And the third thing he says is that anyone who just believes in this, you don't have to do anything, you just need to believe this, to put your trust in Jesus' love, his sacrifice, that when we do that, we become a new person, a new creation. You may not feel like it, but Paul says that's what happens. You become new. And this message, which is called the gospel, it's called Christianity, this is the seed which is growing, growing in the world, growing in us. It's an unstoppable seed. Day and night it grows, though we know not how. The love of Jesus is taking over, taking over the world, taking over our hearts, making all things new. God loves us. Jesus is the proof, and he will not be stopped at anything at accomplishing his purposes in the world and in us. Amen.